Hey, it's Matt Herman. Thank you for joining us. It's better with you here. On today's episode, we sit down with the preeminent voice, dialect, and speaking coach, whose stage credits include Broadway's Grease, Jesus Christ Superstar, and Leonard Bernstein's Mass, as well as the television series, The Everyday Show. But before all of that, he was known in the hair universe as a West Coast Claude. We welcome Bob Korf to today's episode of Hair, the American Tribal Love Rock Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Tribal Love Rock Podcast. This is your host, Matthew Herman. Today, we're going to spend some time on the best coast, otherwise known as the West Coast, with um, one of the Claudes from the Los Angeles production. Everyone, please welcome to the show, Mr. Bob Korf. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm doing great, and I'm excited about doing this because that was one of the most important moments and happiest times of my life. That's what we've been getting from a lot of people. And one thing, one thing is, is that as, as I, as I've been talking with all these former cast members, the passion is still there and the energy is still there. And it really shows what a slice of life that this musical, not only did it reflect what was happening in the world, but also, I mean, you look at any other show, how many people stay in touch and in contact and it's still influential and you were right there in it um you joined oh. the los angeles cast how did you how did you get involved were you were you living in los angeles at the time or i was living in los angeles i had i, I was a lead singer in a rock group that was signed to mgm records so i was a singer but i wanted to be in show business and uh, uh so I, I i got an agent i was looking i i wasn't even connected enough that when they did the original casting for LA, I didn't even hear about it. So uh, that happened. And the show was open for a couple of months, starring the the authors, Jim and, and Jerry, who were, you know, unbelievable. And I, like all my friends, we got the album. So we were able to hear, and we were going, this album is talking to us. This is about, I believe this, this is what I'm doing. This is, this is beautiful. So what happened is I was living in this house, this big house, and there were, there were a lot of singers and actors and dancers, and there were a lot of people. I was the last person to move in. I was sleeping in, in the basement. And this, I got an audition for hair, and I was excited about that, but I, it was early in the morning, and these people were up all night. So I thought, I'm going to warm up really soft. I, won't, I don't want to be thrown out of this house. So I warmed up nice and gently. And then I went to the audition and I sang my song and they went, thank you. And that was it. And I knew at that moment, I went, what did you do? You, you, you turned on yourself. You, you didn't do what you know you have to do. And I, I, I just was so angry. I went back and I got in bed. I was there for about two days, just beating myself up. What are you? You just weren't open. You weren't. So it was a very, I was very unhappy. A, a week or so went by and I went to a party and I had my long hair and I played the guitar and I was singing at this party in some room and a guy walks in and he said, uh, have you auditioned for hair? And I said, uh, no. And he said, well, come tomorrow at this time and you can. And I went, okay, I'll be there. So I go in and the casting director goes, 
haven't we seen you before? And I went, no. And he said, I, I, are you sure? I said, no, no, I, I know. Now I was warmed up and I sang and they liked it. And they said, come back tomorrow. So that was the beginning of my being connected to this dream project. Now, what happened was I would watch, they, they would let me watch the show at night. And then during the day I would be auditioning. This went on for days. And, and then finally I sang one more time and they went, you're in. And I went, oh my God, I'm in, I'm in. I wanted to, you know, I just couldn't believe. Now I didn't know anybody in this show because I was, you know, they were doing the show and I was auditioning someplace else. But my contract started January 1st, 1969. Wow. So the day before that was, you know, New Year's Eve. And the stage manager called me and said, all the cast is going to a party uh, at John and Michelle Phillips' house in Bel Air. Would you like to go? And I went, yeah, I think I would like that. So I went to, this is before I was in the show, I didn't know anybody in the cast, but this was, this was the personification of the 60s. It was the wildest people were walking around naked. There was drugs in every room. And now here's the interesting thing. Years later, by reading books, I went, oh my God, Charles Manson and his followers were at that party. So to tie uh, all of those things together. So luckily I didn't uh, get into uh, uh, any kind of uh, connection with them, but wow, how about being in the middle of that? Now, when you were auditioning, did they say anything about Claude? Had they mentioned anything about Claude or was it just in the yes. show? Yes. Okay. So what they did is they said, we want you, we're looking for somebody to be in, in, the, in the tribe. And, but we're looking for someone to replace uh, Jim Rado because he's not going to stay here forever. He opened the show. And they said that to me a couple of times. Now, when I started to rehearse during the day, and they would rehearse a certain song or something with me. And then they'd stick me in behind everybody, you know, and every night I would learn another part of the show. And all the time they kept saying little messages about, you know, replacing Jim. And I was so young and dumb that I didn't realize that going from nothing to playing Claude was really crazy. So, Here's, here's what's happening. So I'm in the show and I'm watching out of the corner of my eye. I'm watching Jim because I want to see what Claude does. And every once in a while, they would mention it to me again. And I'm watching. And when I'm off stage, I'm watching in the wings. And one night, a couple of months after that, I came in and they said, Jim is sick. Can you go on? And I said, yes. And that's how in his, I mean, I went, yeah. Yeah. So what they did is they took me to an early dinner and they went through the blocking and the quick changes. And, and, and I had to take a shower, there's mud, there's, I mean, there's running and, and the big end where I have to make this mm -hmm. change from long hair to short hair and, and costumes. And that's what they were worried about. They, they didn't even say, do you know the lines? Do you know, have you sung all the songs? 
they just wanted to make sure I was in the right place, technically. Well, and that's one thing that's interesting is because I don't know if the, the listeners remember in that, and it's not really done in a lot of print productions, but Claude before Manchester, England comes in tarred and feathered. And it's you normally in, in they the- tar, They tar and feather on stage while they're singing. But then afterwards, what do they do? <laughs> like it's, it's stuff take, that they don't realize. I had to go upstairs and take a shower and come back down and change my clothes. And so anyway, I went on that night I don't remember a lot of what happened, except mm -hmm. uh, at the end, a lot of people were going, good, Bob, very, pretty good, yeah. And I, and I went, thank God, I, I, you know, I, I, it was just like my, my senses were overloaded. And then Jim didn't come back. And so the next night I did it again and I did it again and I did it for months. And it was like, I got the dream. Yeah. I, I'm playing Claude at the Aquarius Theater, and it, it was just, you know, I, it was, you know, I was a hippie. I grew up at that exact moment, and that was my life. These ideas were great to me. Love one another. Yeah. Uh, peace. Uh, uh, let Allowing people to be different than you. Uh, uh, you know, all the things that were still battling out we'll talk about that maybe later but but uh, it was like wow this is i i would have written it except they wrote it first and <laughs> i got to be in it what, <laughs> that's it, fantastic it was fantastic and i mean there were just beautiful beautiful moments there were things that happened in that show i've done other shows we may talk about too the things that happened to people at the end, I'm lying there dead. And a couple of times, all of a sudden, somebody's overcome. They come up on the stage and they're crying, sobbing, rocking my dead body. And I'm going, what's going on now? I mean, you know, I mean, people, people's lives were changed by this show. It encompasses so much and it's such an open environment and it was so much freedom with one another and and everybody really connected with it seems from what i've gathered before everybody it was it was a family you know it really was a tribe it was it was that's the one thing is like there is a script there is a set song list and that stuff but every, you're prepared for everything you have to be prepared for everything but with the sharing the time on the stage everybody's in it together so it really gives you that safety and that security to go to go through and oh, I, 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 I had such respect for all of the people in that show. Uh, I mean, and it was just, I mean, you know, Ben Vereen was in that show. There, was, there, were, there was such talent in that show mm -hmm. that I went, yes, this is where I was supposed to be. And they let me in. Thank you. Well, how was your reaction? And you said that you were living with, you know, in, a, in kind of a big house and all that stuff. But how was everybody's? Because it was a very pivotal you know, it was a very tumultuous time in, in the American culture. And I know with the West Coast in Los Angeles, it, it really reflected the kind of new, you know, the new way of thinking. And it really was, you know, it was more accepted as, as part of some of the other stories that we hear of other cast members and other productions in other states. But how, how was, how did your friends and family and everybody, how did they all, how did they all react to that? Well, it's, it's great because the thing is, when I was in the rock group, I had long hair. So I had long hair before almost anybody. And my mother was ashamed of me. People, neighbors would, would come to my mother and go, I'm so sorry. You know, 
your son needs a haircut. I mean, it was, pe people were freaking out. They were very conservative. You, we think we know what conservative is now. They were really conservative. I mean, why do you feel that everybody was so so conservative? I mean, do you think it was do you think it was a fear or coming from the military, like from the wars and that That's, stuff? Or? That, yeah, I think so. And no man had long hair for 80 years. There hadn't in the lifetime of all of the grown-ups, no man ever had long hair. So we were like freaks. We were, you know, people would call me a girl, you know, they, 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 they didn't know how to react to it. And so all the things that I wanted to do and all, you know, things I was doing and I was getting in trouble for, when I got in the show, all of a sudden now everybody wants to hang out with me. My parents want me to get their friends tickets. So all the things I was punished for before the show, now I'm getting paid to do it and I'm a hero. Do you remember? Um, do you remember what your costume was? Do do you, was there was there a certain like um, was it a vest or normally like a shirt and a vest or you had your the, were bell bottoms? I mean, did that come? Oh, I had bell time? bottoms. I mean, I have pictures I, I could send you. You know, the thing is, obviously, when I first started, I'm sure most of it was gym stuff because that they didn't even measure me. They just went, I hope this fits, and. Uh, but, you know, over time, I did the show for uh, 11 months. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I want to tell you that that happened after I was doing it for months and it was just wonderful. And the the now as an adult, I can see the wisdom in what they did. But at the time, I wasn't that thrilled. They decided that they were going to double cast all of the leads so nobody got to I'm the star. So they brought in this guy named Ted Neely. I, I don't oh, know yeah. what ever happened to him. Uh, but, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but Ted and I, we had a blast. I mean, we start, we, our relationship went like this. I insulted him. He insulted me. We teased each other. We made each other laugh. And we had the greatest time. And if I had somebody coming, I'd say, can I switch nice with you? And he'd say, yeah and vice versa. So it was just, to me, it just was fabulous. And I got to work with another unbelievable talent. Mm -hmm. I mean, for those of you that are not, that, that are the listeners that may not be aware, um, Ted Neely is very known well for his work as Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, a role that you have also performed as as well. Um, yes, I, I, I did it. When it first opened, I did it for nine months straight. Great part. Mm -hmm. And then during the 70s, whenever I didn't have a job, I would go off someplace and I'd do it. So we figured I did over a thousand times from 71 to 79. <gasps> That's a lot of high notes in the Garden of Gethsemane right yeah, there. It's a lot of high notes, but it was such a great part that I, I knew that every time I did it, this could be the last production. So mm -hmm. I, I, I just gave it everything, which reminds me of something that Jerry Ragney said to me when I first took over in, as Claude, he went, he says, I want you to go out there and use everything you've got so that when the show is over, you go home, you put your head on the pillow and you're asleep. And that went in, I, I went, oh, that's, that's using the, all the valuable energy you got. Yeah. Then oh, you got to rest. Man. 
And how many how many performances was it? Was it was it eight performances a week or? Yes. Man. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it, but that I mean, we, we could talk about Jesus Christ Superstar. I mean, that that's a good part. I mean, I I never went. Oh, not again. I mean, this there was always something you could make better. Was there ever a moment when you were doing the show where it, it all kind of fell together? Is there any is there any moments of the show that you really stand out or? Oh, that's so funny because I mean I, I think every week that you do it, you feel more at home. Every mm -hmm. when you ask me that question, what popped into my head is uh, my parents came to see it after I'd been in it for a little while, you know, not a long time, but the moment where I'm I was tearing up papers and and the parents were all yelling and talking to me and telling me, you know, what I should do. And all of a sudden I thought, oh, my parents are there. And I went up and, 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 and it became this real moment where these people were yelling at me and I didn't know what to say. And I went, it, it made the whole thing real. It was like, oh yeah, this is what happens in my house. This is not acting. This is really what happens. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and so with we're just talking with all the with all the messages and, and they talk about with the show and a lot of times since people kind of look at the show and they see it as as kind of um oh it's even an nostalgia piece or I've I've seen I've gone and see productions where the person meets me and they're like, Oh hey, peace and love. And it was it wasn't it's funny when you look at the context of the show because they really don't smoke weed, you know, or until the hallucination or the trip until the second act. They they sing, you know, hashish in that song and they reference and all that stuff, but you really don't see it until until the second act. But yet it kind of has that stigma of being that that hippie show. But what do you what were some of the messages of messages of the show that you really connected with? I mean, you you had mentioned a little bit earlier about you would have written it had they not written it before, but well, I, you know, the magic of of doing a play about what was actually happening in present time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that I you know before I got in that show, I would go to love-ins and and you know I would go to love-ins and I would go to these fairs and I would just sleep under a tree and follow a dog for a couple of hours, you know, just and that was that was that was the world that that was actually happening. And it was it seemed so right. Mm -hmm. The whole thing about race, about climate, about sexuality, I mean all those things were like, why would you be angry with somebody? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with I that seemed natural to me and mm -hmm. then there was a show talking about that i mean I, I figured once everybody saw this their eyes would be open and they would never go back uh and and i i said to my wife uh, you know should i say this this you know in the, in the late 70s and the 80s i got depressed because i saw that it didn't change the world Mm -hmm. We're still, I mean, we're having the same, same things are still, it's a curse. And well, I'm, and, I, yeah. And that's, the, that's, that's one thing that, that if you look at it, steps have been made, but there's still steps yeah. in, to go. And it's just existing with one another. It's not pushing an agenda. You're not having to be force fed right. something. You're just peacefully existing along one another. 
and allowing each other to express themselves. And, you know, it was, yeah, it was a wonderful time. What would you hope like younger audience would be able to, to take away or, or, or what you hope that they would be able to connect with in the show? Well, love, be kind to people. You know, I, I did the show uh, once in summer stock and I had to fight with the wardrobe people because they weren't to make us look like clowns. I said, these are, these people are clowns. I had to, you know, I was like trying to teach them. And then somebody, you know, in the audience after the show said to me, uh, so what are those, the people that are in the tribe, are they like your gang? I said, no, no, not, there's the opposite of gang. There's no gang here. And so, and this was like in, in the middle, early to, to middle 70s. Now, let me tell you, I got the chance to do the show again. Let, well, let me tell you also, what happened is how, how I stopped being in hair yes. is I got to be, I got the lead in a movie. And so I took a leave of absence and Ben Vereen was in the show, in the movie with me and Alan Bronstein but I was the lead, so I was there the entire time. So we were in Texas and New Mexico shooting, and on just around Christmas Day, I get a call, the movie is in its last few days, and they say, Bob, uh, we're letting you go. And so I was sad. This show that I loved so much was over, and, uh, and the movie was over, and, but, it wasn't the last time I was to be fired by hair. So let me tell you another story that's connected to that. So now it's the middle to late seventies and I'm living in New York. I did Grease on Broadway and, you know, I, I, I had been working and I was on the contract in Universal and I, I had a nice little run there. So I, I'm in New York and they decide to do a revival. So I go, wow. This will be great. So I give them a call and they go, Bob, you're great. We know, we know we're going a darker way. We're gonna, it's, it, we need some kind of more grit from this Claude. We need, it needs to be dirtier. You're too clean. And I thought to myself, I can be dirty, you know? <laughs> but that was the end of that conversation. So now the show is in uh, previews. Mm -hmm. And I hear after a little while that they're having trouble with the clods. There are about two or three now clods have been dismissed. So I get a call and they go, would you come and sing for us? So I go in and I must've been very dirty or whatever it was that they were looking for. Cause they went, yeah. Now this is eight years after I originally did it. Oh my goodness. And now we're on Broadway and it was, it was such a, again, it was like a, I got to, I knew that kid, that was me. And now I had eight years of experience from other shows and other life experiences to bring to it. And it was wonderful. I mean, it was just, it was like a gift. What do you feel is the key to Claude? How would you describe the character? What's what's really the key to the character? Because it's 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 one that you can you can do really really well, and there's one that can be like eh, it's not you know like it, it's 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 the sliding scale on Claude is is yes. kind of tricky. <laughs> uh, 
Well, to, as you were talking, I kept thinking, he's very conflicted. Mm -hmm. That's what I think it is. I think it's like he wants to do, he wants to follow his impulses and then he pulls back, he burns his library card instead mm -hmm. of his draft card. So he's, he's trying, but he's, and, and that's where so many young people and all people are, I, I want, I have this dream and, and then I'm afraid to go all the way, you know, and that, and that's why it's the ending is so shocking because I don't think people are expecting that. Oh, no, they don't for it to, to happen so soon. But how did, and I know that the show has existed for a long time, so I don't think we're giving any spoiler alerts or <laughs> anything, but how did you, because if you had long hair, did they wig you at the top and then it was different on the end? Or how did, how did they do that effect for you? Uh, I had, it was, it was my hair. It, it was long hair. And what they did, that's why that, that change was so, important i had to go back they poured water on my hair they twisted it up they put you know they just it, it was all pulled to the back when when you come he comes out he never turns his head at all because all the hair is in the back and then you have to get into this one piece army outfit and uh, and it had to happen in you know a minute and a half See, and, and that makes so much sense because I, I actually, and before I, I, I spent, I, uh, I lied, I laid awake in bed last night trying to think about it. Cause so many times when you see it, you know, Claude has short, you know, Claude has short hair at the end, but the actor's normally wearing a wig. And so many times you can tell it's always if the bandana's not right or, you know, right. And some productions, you know, like the piece of the, you know, the piece of the wig falls up on the, gets caught on the feather and it just, it just looks weird. And I was like, I bet that it was real hair and then just slicking it back. That's exactly um, right. Cause yeah, he never turns. One thing I found out when I was talking with um, Toad the Mime out of the San Francisco cast, and she was saying that when the nude scene, you up in San Francisco, once they were naked, they couldn't move because then. Well, no, it, yeah, that was, that was the law. See, I He's, just. If you move, they could arrest you. So they would that be like, the... would that be like because of like go-go dancing or, I mean, not even, or, you know it's what I mean? That it's, yeah, it's a tableau. It's not people moving or suggestive anything. You're just standing naked. Can I tell you about the first time I ever did the nude seat? Yeah, go ahead. Cause I thought normally Claude's standing at the, at the. Yeah, this is before, this was the first day I was on stage. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, I, I went on for a few minutes and then I was backstage and Jerry said to me, you want to do the nude scene? And I went, well, I, I you know, I, I haven't rehearsed. I, I don't know. He said, what do you have to rehearse? So, <laughs> so I went, okay. So we took off our clothes and then you have to sneak under this scrim. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point in the song, you all come up through these cracks and this scrim and you just stand still so the first thing i ever got paid for in show business was standing naked in front of uh, <laughs> 1500 people and i loved it you know it's like i'm young i'm free and i'm naked so what and there's safety in numbers because that's one thing as well as that it was the new scene was never required it was no. always it was always that if you wanted to this is at this moment as opposed to some others that they're like, you're naked, you, you know, and it's, it's, it's a whole thing of freedom and what an experience because it's really, it's really such an act of vulnerability. And and I, was, see, to me, that was what 
I was I would be doing somewhere somehow anyway. Yeah. And it was like the show <laughs> gave me a vehicle to do. Was there ever the little old ladies in the in the coats in the front row get out their opera glasses or was there ever, you know, um because they always talked about the people that protested about it, like, oh, well, I never, but every every week they would be in the front row, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I, well, first of all, when you're on stage, usually the spotlight's in your eyes and you can't see anybody. If you, if you showed what your face, oh, so you can't see anybody. But actually, I don't know if, uh, if you can say this, but in the beginning of the show, Sheila sings at one point, she would go, my countries, and that would be what well, the people who were going to go stood up at that moment and, and left, and so that then the rest of the audience was hardcore. They were ready for the rest of the show after that. Oh my gosh, I never realized about that. One of the one of the stories I heard about the. Um that I heard about the Los Angeles production is because at the end of the first act, the fuzz comes in and, and, right. you know, and nobody, the audience didn't know that that was part of the show. And so they said that they had to hold the house for about 15 minutes because these cops quote unquote cops come in and you, all of a sudden you hear this clink clink and everybody's like ditching their stash from their pockets. And then when they realized that it was part of the show and it was just kind of, kind of this funny thing that they had to hold the house while everybody went and and picked up all of their <laughs> oh I, I wasn't aware of that but I, I i i did the cop we all we you know if we if if we weren't on i mean i got the chance to do margaret mead i you know it was just on the days i wasn't working if they needed somebody we just go okay i'll do it no, that's so fantastic. You know, they always joke about if you talk to somebody like, oh, I end up, I learn everybody's lines. But this is, hair is really one of those instances where you can learn every other, every other part of the show and just, and just hop in to do it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, it, it, it was so much fun. You, 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 it was you couldn't have that, that much fun and not be arrested anyplace else in the world. <laughs> right. And the one thing is, is that with the Aquarius Theater, because it was one of I mean, it was the Earl Carroll and then Hullabaloo and then they they went over to, to Aquarius and it they painted just the artwork and everything, because yes. a lot of the other theaters in the venues, they couldn't really adjust that much. But to be, to put the to have the fool come in and that whole that whole artist group to Beautiful do all work. this, this stuff. And it's it's. One thing I find really, really great is because, you know, I live in Hollywood and I walk past it a lot. It was, it was, I mean, I drove by just, I, I'm, I've been working on a series before the pandemic and I drove by and I went, what are they doing? They're, they're changing. The, 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 so it's going to be a whole different building. But about 10 years ago, I got a job working on a Nickelodeon show. Oh, to yeah. Work, to work with one of the, the, the actors. And that, they were in the Aquarius Theater. That's a big part of why I took the job. It was so, Nickelodeon on Sunset, and then they they right. moved over to the um, to Burbank now. I, I wanted to go check out the dressing room, and I got so that I took that job just to see that theater inside again. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was a beautiful time, and uh, uh, let me let me tell you just another, you know, highlight of that show. There was a thing called the moratorium which was a peace march in Washington, D.C. It was, I, I believe it was November 12, 1969. And Ben Vereen and I got picked from the L.A. company and two people from 
at that point, during that year, there were companies all over the country and the world. Mm-hmm. And two people from all of the companies got to go to the moratorium. And we got to sing Let the Sun Shine In to a half a million people. Oh my goodness. There were people as far as you could see in any direction. What an so experience. It, it, yeah. And it was, uh, I mean, what an experience is right. I mean, it was like, what, you know, I was blessed to get these opportunities. Why do you think that the music is very relatable? And if you look at any other Broadway show, it has not had as many commercial radio hits that Hair has. I mean, almost. Well, it was the first rock musical. I mean, there was, there were, if you were in the theater, you sang like, uh, you know, some enchanted. There was, this was the first time rock and roll actually showed up on Broadway. Uh. So you you did um, you did your film and you used the voice of that the voice that you found during hair to go and continue and now you work in voice you have been quite you are quite the prolific speech and uh, vocal teacher. Yes. Well, I've been teaching now uh, for forty one years, I believe it is. And so what happened is, after Superstar, Grease, Hair. Television. I had a television series in 78 and 79. And when that was over, there was an actor strike that went on for nine months. And nobody worked. Nobody. It was like it was like the pandemic. And a lot people just went. And during that time, I was I I, I just made a bunch of money on the show, but I was losing my mind. And somebody said, can you show me how to sing? And I went. I guess because I've been taking lessons for years, and and I was I was on stage when I now I, I never thought about it back then. I was on stage for years, mm-hmm. I would get literally years every night, and so I started to teach, and it just exploded, and I that was the last thing on my mind, and it, it, I had a whole new world, and and uh, I've been very fortunate, and my my wife teaches with me now. She's been teaching for 30 years. And we have uh, programs that you can download. We work with people all over the world. We have singing voice method, speakers voice method. We teach people how to get accents, English, Irish, Scottish, Russian, uh, and we take accents away. Mm-hmm. And we've been, if you, if you go to my website, uh, you can see some of the people we've been lucky enough to work with. Some well, I checked it people. out, and I will put I will put the link to your I will put the link to your website in the show notes so our audience can go in and listen and 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 check it out and learn more about it. But it's quite it is quite the prolific it, uh, career, and it's. But even just talking to you, I can understand why because your nature and your energy is so just calming and and just very inviting and like like the the true hippie, you know, it's just coming together and, and building, taking someone's strengths and expanding on it. Exactly. And that's, and that's exactly what I do. I, it's great. I see something in somebody and often I see it before they do. And I just nurture it and hope that they have the courage to hang in there. So they will see what I can see. Oh, well, fantastic. I'll tell you what I'm passionate about. We have to vote. Mm-hmm we have got to take this country back from some people who are taking it in a very 
horrible direction. And so people, I don't care how you do it, get out and vote and get your brother and your sister and your uncle and your aunt and everybody you know, we've got to get this country back. I'm old enough to know what this country was like. When, even when I was complaining about it, it was the greatest place in the world to live. Mm -hmm. And it's really the only way for being an artist to have your voice heard. Put your two cents in and vote. Once you turn 18, it is it is your voice to be heard. And it really is a leveling. It's yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and the more, voice. you know, more constrictive and the more closed up they, the other group wants to be, the less freedom artists mm -hmm. and people of goodwill will be able to have you know it's it's just uh, yeah we got we got to go we got to go out of our comfort zone to make important things happen success isn't easy everything requires work one thing they did talk about with hair being a big protest piece and it was against the war and and all these other different factions and it, it representation but you look at the protests and you see people that have signs out there and one thing that i've asked all the guests that have come on is that if you had a sign now it doesn't have to be you know it doesn't have to be in protest it could be a, an a affirmation or a slogan or something but bob if you had a sign what would your sign say I'm going to tell you what I think you should say, and if anybody can tighten it up and make it even more focused, I'll love it. What I want to say is go out of your way and do good for more people than you ever thought you would. And that's perfect. That's perfect. It speaks to the ensembleness and the tribe and everything that it, it stands together. and. That's one thing that I like about the show so much is that everybody has a chance to shine. If, it, if the sky just had one star, it wouldn't be that exciting, but you can see all the different options and everything else. So to go out and do more good for other people, I think that's absolutely perfect. Thank so. you. And I, 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 I'm taking my own advice. Bob Korf is an actor, singer, and one of the most sought after vocal coaches in the world. He currently teaches out of his private studio in Los Angeles with his wife, Claire. Hair, the American Tribal Love Rock podcast is a production of The Hair Company. Michael Butler, Matthew Herman, Conwell Worthington, John and Jeannie Cutler, with assistance from Nina Macklin-Dayton in The Hair Archive. A very, very special thank you goes to James Rado, Jerome Ragney, and Galt McDermott, whose music was featured in this episode. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, we can be reached by email at podcast at hair-live.com. That's podcast at H-A-I-R hyphen L-I-V-E dot com. We hope you have a wonderful week. And remember, be free, be whoever you are, do whatever you do, just so long as you don't hurt anyone. And remember, I am your friend. Peace.